0: chapter 9, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us here tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and don't hesitate to just wave to them and get their attention. They'll get a Bible into your hands, and it's always good, especially on the Sunday nights, to be able where we try and cover a little bit of territory in the Bible, to be able to listen, but also to read it with your own eyes. And I would probably add, especially in this book of Proverbs. Proverbs uh, chapter 9 contains two invitations. Uh, An invitation on the part of wisdom to come and partake of uh, her feast and her banquet. Again, wisdom personified by a, a loving woman. And then there is the invitation also in the chapter Uh, the invitation of folly, folly being represented uh, by a harlot. Wonderful as we turn to the book of Proverbs, and it is a book of wisdom and supplies us with a wisdom that we would never otherwise uh, enjoy. It is the wisdom of God. I I don't know about you, but the life that I live as a Christian, well, I do know it about you. But I'd like to just testify tonight. We're going to have a testimony here tonight testify tonight that I am living a life that is the quality of which is way beyond my wisdom. And I know it's the same thing that's true for you, a life that is so rich and so wonderful because it is built upon the wisdom of God. And so this beautiful uh, book of Proverbs. And so wisdom's invitation she makes now to all of us, to all of the whole wide world to come partake of God's wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And so wisdom is, her house is likened to having seven pillars. Uh, Seven is the number of completion. In the Bible, there are seven days in a week. There are seven colors in a rainbow. So seven represents completion. And so the wisdom of God is a wisdom that is complete, that doesn't need to be added to in any way. It is perfect wisdom. Uh, Interesting where wisdom is spoken of here uh, in terms of seven pillars. We think about the Bible. Where else in the Bible is wisdom spoken of in terms of a seven? And we go to the New Testament in the book of James. And in the book of James, wisdom is spoken of as having seven pillars. James said, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so... Uh, The wisdom, Old Testament, New Testament, kind of coming together to give us a a glimpse of the beauty of wisdom and what it produces within uh, our lives. She has slaughtered her meat. She has fixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. And so wisdom is um, that's being offered to man by God is likened to a great feast that you could uh, come to. Now, sometimes... um, you know, we do live in a country that might not be as prosperous as it once was even a few years ago, but it is still a country of, you know, of plenty, and so... There's lots of food, whether it's getting it through the drive-thru, some kind of fast food or whatever it might be. But in those days, to have a banquet like this is described in verse 2, even for us, has a smacking our lips, doesn't it? I mean, here you've got some prime rib and whoo, and all the whole thing, all the furnishings there, and wisdom is just this sumptuous meal uh, that is uh, supplied. And uh, to us and God just invites us to partake of it. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. And here's her message. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding, so every single person and the whole wide world has the opportunity to live a life a, a quality of life that is way beyond our own wisdom or our own background or our own gene pool or our own life experience. Uh, the same opportunity to live a wise life and then partake of the blessings of that is available. Every single person, despite where we come from or education or any of those things, all of it's found in just simply accepting God's Word, the wisdom that it is, obeying His Word, and then we all are able to partake of a life that is way beyond what we would otherwise uh, experience under our own wisdom, which is a considerable lack of wisdom, at least as it relates to me. I'll let you wrestle with that with the Lord. Now the interesting thing about wisdom is that in God's wisdom is that this wisdom personified by this woman recognizes that not everybody in the world is going to accept God's wisdom. There are going to be people that just like with the gospel. They hear the gospel, they hear God's wisdom concerning salvation, but people scoff at it as uh, as God's word being the wise way to live. And yet it's interesting. Again, I think about how vulnerable God makes himself. I'd say the overwhelming majority of the world rejects God and his wisdom, not for any good reason. There's There's no good reason for doing that. No reason, certainly no good reason for it. And yet here is God willing to offer his wisdom to the whole wide world and receive rejection on the part of probably the vast majority for the sake of people like you and I who would hear His call to salvation, His call to live His life, and knowing that we would take Him up on that call. And I'll tell you, I'm thankful for it. But God God is not, you know, Pollyannish on things. This wisdom isn't either. There's the recognition that wisdom is offered to man, but some reject it. And some receive it. He who corrects a scoffer now, as she talks about uh, the responses to her invitation, some people will scoff at God's invitation to live the life that he calls man to. And he who corrects a scoffer will get shame for himself. And so those of you who have ever shared the gospel with someone who is, uh, you know, with more than one person, or you have said, well, the Bible says this, or the Bible says we ought to do this, you know that uh, more often than not you're going to have somebody that's going to scoff at you. And you, you know, believing that old book and that ancient book, and we're so much smarter now and we're so much wiser now. And so there is the scoffing that... That occurs. He correct, who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. In other words, we, we let people know, hey, you don't have to live the life that you're living. I mean, you go home to your apartment complex or to your block or to your family or to your school, and I mean, how all of us know people whose lives are an absolute train wreck. They're just an absolute disaster. And you say, there's a way out of this. There's another kingdom. There's another path than this one. And you explain to them about walking in God's way and coming to know the Lord, and then they'll respond by scoffing uh, at you. And and so wisdom gets scoffed at. When we carry God's wisdom, we're going to get scoffed at. So we do get shame for ourselves. But I'll tell you uh, what makes it worth it is you can have a thousand people laugh in your face, and then you meet that one person who says, I want it. And they begin to walk with God and their whole life changes. You say, Lord, that makes everything worth it. And who, and, and then when eternity comes, how much more to see that person in heaven? And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. So you come and you rebuke somebody and you say, listen, this is no way to live. That's no way. This is, that's a dead end path. You're going to die on that road that you're Going, that's that's a foolish decision that you're making there, and when you make that kind of a uh, observation to a person who is wicked, that person will throw something right back uh, in your face as well, and and so there, you know, there is the harm that comes our way, so to speak, by rebuking a wicked uh, person, and and so wisdom isn't judged by, God's wisdom isn't judged for whether it is true or not or whether it is a blessing or not based upon the reaction of people, Um, our reaction to the offer of God of salvation, our reaction to God's definitions of right and wrong and His commandments is never a poor reflection upon God. It is always a a poor reflection upon the person that despises those things. And it's a good reflection upon the person Who then receives those things? Just like uh, you you know the gospel, and so there are these different reactions. But then he goes on to the wisdom goes on to say, rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. (laughs) Everybody remembers the person that led them to the Lord, or the person that maybe didn't lead them to the Lord, but prepared the path for them to lead them to the Lord by speaking truth into their life. The Bible says, or, you know, you need to make a change in your life. This is, this is crazy, the life that you're living. You're not going to survive it or whatever people might say. And then you look back, we give our life to the Lord and then we look back fondly. We love those people who put the relationship at risk and their own reputation at risk and all to tell us the truth. You rebuke a wise man and he will love you. It's one of the marks of wisdom is that a wise man will accept a rebuke. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And so uh, this is the reaction of the wise man, the just man, to uh, the wisdom of God. Uh, They are profited by it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so the the person who responds to God's wisdom and receives it is a person that has the fear of the Lord in their life, and of course, the fear of the Lord is virtually non-existent now within our culture, um, and it isn't serving us very, very well. And uh, it, uh, a lack of respect for God—we're uh, the kings. We're the—you know—we're man, and uh, and we're the great creation. We're not uh, under anybody and we don't have to listen to anybody's rules and the absence of of the fear of the lord and 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 that absence of the fear of the lord keeps people from then responding giving god's word the respect that uh, it deserves and then coming out of the disaster of their life into the richness of what god wants to bring them in but you look for someone who has the fear of the lord and uh uh, that's where God's wisdom is going to really be able to take hold and change their life. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, wisdom says, your days will be multiplied and the years of life will be added to you. And in general, the life expectancy uh, of those long life is, is lived by those who obey God's word. Why? Because it's the way to live. Think about how much sin we are steered away from that would destroy our lives, kill us. Um, the Word of God steers us away from those things that we would otherwise practice. And uh, absence of the fear of the Lord, people go into those lifestyles or they practice those things and so often there is disaster at the end of them and a shortened life sin shortens people's lives it's just the way that it is if you are wise you are wise for yourself and if you scoff you will bear it alone and so here is wisdom saying to the whole wide world no matter who they are in and that is your reception of me is no reflection on me and that's, that's, how, that's how it's going to be. In heaven, in, in the judgment seat of Christ or the white throne judgment, what people did or didn't do with Christ is not going to make one difference uh, to who he is and to his kingdom. And it's not going to make one bit of difference to the fact that every single knee is going to bow and every single tongue is going to confess him as Lord. And, and so the, what a person does with God's wisdom and with us, with His gospel, that we bear the consequences of that on our own. God has warned us and given us a different kind of wisdom to live by and given us an alternative. Of, and then here is the, Um, folly's invitation, foolishness's invitation, again, uh, she is likened uh, to a harlot. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and she knows uh, nothing. And so, uh, like most sin, here she is. Uh, she 's um, uh, she sits she 's simple, she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on the seat of the highest places in the city, so like a harlot she 's uh, likened to sin as a harlot she 's attractive, but she 's loud and she 's ignorant um, and so i'll tell you that kind of uh, encapsulates all music, all advertisements, all entertainment that um, takes and extols evil as a way of living. You think about any uh, movie that I don't recommend it, but um, there's so few movies that we can see. But you think of anything, uh, any song, any book, any movie, any, anything that extols wickedness, Um, and you look at the depth of that. There's nothing ennobling about it. It's just loud and it's just clamorous. And that's why the cultures become so loud and so aggressive is to keep people from examining the lies that they are buying into. Because if the culture ever slowed down and anybody got contemplative or introspective and started to look at the life that they're living, the bill of goods that they've been sold on, what wisdom is so called in the culture they'd look and say we've all been ripped off but it, it, it stays loud they keep it attractive they keep the music up the whole big uh, deal like that so that nobody would will recognize that it, it, is, uh, it, it lacks depth and it lacks substance and it certainly lacks uh, beauty and longevity To those who pass, uh, to this harlot or the wisdom of the world uh, sits there to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, and this is what she cries out, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And so, look at the, this, here's the message of the harlot, the message of the world, the world's wisdom is, hey, listen, sexual immorality is more pleasurable. Secret sin, having these secret trysts is more pleasurable than God's plan related to sex rather than marital sex. She's just got, she's got one ring on her guitar she plays over and over again and so this is how she the the lack of depth of her message and and just getting people to go on their feelings go on their lust and their emotions and 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 that's how again how shallow her message is and you look earlier in like in verses uh, 4 5 and 6 and and compare it to the beauty of the invitation of wisdom and uh, wisdom saying come into this life the beauty of this life the depth of this life it's a beautiful life the wisdom of the world has nothing to compare uh, in terms of the wisdom of god but the person that listens to the wisdom of this world he does not know that the dead are there not only related to a harlot but related to uh, the, uh, the wisdom of the world that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. And so as opposed to wisdom, her invitation leads to death and it leads to hell. Her doorway is one of many, many ways uh, and many entrances into hell. But she always keeps that a secret. She never advertises that. Come in here, stolen waters in secret and blah, 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 and the whole thing. And then God says, let me tell you the rest of the picture. It's a slope straight in to a horrible life and this life and hell and the life to come. And of course, we see that in terms of the wisdom of this world when it is again portrayed and like mass media Movies, music, this kind of thing. They never show the consequences of the sin. Or they never take the wisdom of the world three steps beyond it in its implication, beyond the touchy feely to show the casualties that the world's wisdom produces. They hide that. And that's what, the, that, it's just criminal what is going on. And the Lord exposes and says, listen, here's their message. But man, it isn't good for you now, and it really isn't good for you later. When we get into chapter 10, and Uh, In this part of the book of Proverbs, we head into what Proverbs is probably most famous for, and that is these kind of pithy little sayings that uh, speak of individual examples of wisdom. And in this section that we head into now in uh, chapter 10, Uh, Most of these are contrasts where there will be the speaking of the righteous man and the wicked man, the wise man and the foolish man. So there's a contrast between two types of people in order to make a a simple point related to uh, wisdom. And so this beautiful uh, section of the book of Proverbs that we head into now, chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise man makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. And I'll tell you, that's the truth. The behavior of children, uh, Solomon is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, the behavior of children has a tremendous impact upon the quality of life of their parents. Sometimes when you're young and you have children, you think, okay, well... I signed up for 18 years and on their 18th birthday I'm giving them luggage. <laughs> but those 18 years are just the beginning. And they will either bless us or they will break our hearts till the day we die. And it's a speaking, He's speaking to His sons. He's speaking to His children to think about it. I think it's good to think about Especially today, um, a lot of people gripe about, you know, the condition of the nation. And we could get into all that kind of stuff, too, and everything. But I look around, and, of course, I'm around an awful lot of Christians in light of God's calling in my life. But I'm out in the world an awful lot, too. And I see people hustling. I see people working hard. I see people trying very, very hard. And to to hustle the way and that people are hustling and trying to keep food on the table and trying to keep the cars fixed and trying to have some medical insurance maybe in there on, on top of everything, and then to come home to kids that make a home an absolute hell, I'll tell you, it is such a bad reflection on a child. And it's something good for young people to think about. Because one day they'll be an adult and then they'll be carrying the weight and look back and say, man, I added all of that aggravation. I broke my father's heart or I broke my mother's heart. If you sit here tonight and the life that you're living, you're visiting with us maybe tonight, and you haven't yet committed your life to the Lord, maybe raised in the things of the Lord, And the life that you have been living is just a heartbreak to your Christian parents. The greatest thing that you can do tonight is give your life to the Lord. Get into the life that you know is right, that God has called you to, and then make the first phone call you make tonight, a phone call to your parents, and tell them what you've done. And ask them forgiveness for what it is that you put them through. And what you will do to their spirit and to their life, you will elevate the quality of their life several steps in an instant. There's an old saying, parents are only as happy as their least happy child, and that's the truth. I'd say also their least obedient uh, child. Verse 2, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will allow the righteous soul to fam- will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but He casts away the desire of the wicked. And this is God's way of saying that right living pays. He's, he's saying that the prosperity of the wicked it doesn't last. And so He says it profits nothing. they get their wealth, they get their treasures by ill-gotten gain through theft or deceit or con or whatever the deal might, might be, but they lose it just as quickly. And he tells us in these two verses that righteousness protects us from the hands, uh, from a death at the hands of sin. Righteousness is the greatest security in life. We've talked about it before. You say, we buy security systems, we're making all, doing all kinds of things as a hedge against the culture or against wickedness within the culture. We do all kinds of, of things in that way. The greatest thing we can do to put ourselves, the most, the most secure place in the whole wide world is to have a relationship with God and then obey His commandments, be in His will in that relationship. We think about the two witnesses in the book of Revelation after we've been raptured up into heaven. uh, uh, Elijah's going to be one of them. We don't know who the other is. I think it's Moses, but that's open to speculation. But those two witnesses uh, testify to Christ during the great tribulation period, and no one can put them to death until their ministries are over. And the whole world wants to put them to death. They cannot harm them. Once their ministry is over, then it's time to go to heaven and get out of here. And God takes them out of here. But the safest place in the world is living a righteous life in relationship uh, with the Lord. And so uh, when it talks in verse 3 that the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, we think about David, when he wrote in the psalm, Psalm 37, I've been young and now I'm old. I'll tell you, everybody will say that someday. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. And so it's a general rule that God does not allow um, his saints or the righteous soul to famish. Now, sometimes there are exceptions to that where a Christian can be in a part of the world where there is extreme persecution uh, or they're going to be martyred for their faith. And so those things do happen, but in general, uh, this is true. And it's just as true that the Lord casts away the desire of the, we, uh, of the wicked. You say, well, wow, if the Christian life is so hard. The life of the righteous is so hard. Maybe I'll think about the life of the wicked. It's emptiness and frustration. He never lets them have what they want. They will never be satisfied. They will always be empty and frustrated. Then in verse 4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. And so if you're lazy, again, a proverb telling us if a person is lazy, then poverty is in your future. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. In other words, hard work and diligence is eventually rewarded uh, most often in life. And so he who gathers in summer is a wise son. This is the time of gathering in the harvest and all. He who sleeps in harvest time, that's the world's worst time to be lazy. We're in the middle of harvest right now and on, some, on the almonds and everything that's going on right now. The peaches, previous, all these different kinds of things that are going on. Lots of things being harvested in California right now. And all that work that's gone into that crop all the way up to this point, the world's worst time for someone to become lazy is at the time of the harvest. And to everyone who's working in ag, they are working hard. (laughs) It's not a time for laziness. You gotta get that crop, uh, in. And so, uh, this, the, Uh, again, the rebuke of laziness and the encouragement that uh, there is prosperity with being a hard worker and a diligent person. Verse 6, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. I think some one of the blessings that we have as Christians, you say, blessings are on the head of the righteous. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to leave the It's the sanctuary here today and head out in the car. We've out in the parking lot. We've replaced all of your cars with Escalades, Cadillacs. And we couldn't get them for all of you. And so the rest of you, we got um, Mercedes SUVs. So sometimes we think of blessings in that way. I'll tell you what, I'll take over a big black Mercedes SUV putting my head on the pillow tonight and enjoying the peace of God in my heart, knowing that I'm right with him and I'm right with my fellow man. What good does a big car like that or a big anything the world wants to sell us on if we don't have peace in our life? He says concerning the wicked, he will generally reap what he sows. In other words, he's going to get what he gives. Verse 7, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Yes, I did. I enjoyed saying that. <laughs> did you notice that? Okay. In this proverb, he's telling us that the impact of our lives will reach way beyond our lifetimes, for good or for bad. I always think about this every time I'm uh, attending a memorial service or officiating a memorial service. And here you are, there's the deceased sometimes in a casket in the front of this room or in a mortuary or maybe it's at a gravesite, and all of the people that are in that room have been impacted by that life and that impact is going to continue in people's lives long after now that person is dead and, and that impact is either going to be for good or it's going to be for bad, but our impact upon our families, upon our spouses, upon our children, upon our friends, upon our workplace, upon our peers... That, that we don't die and then everything about us evaporates. There, there, that, uh, that impact lingers. And I think about the, speaking about kind of the fragrance here of a holy life, how it lingers long after a person is gone. For my own life, and you can fill in the blanks in your own lives. So I think about Bill MacDonald, his fragrance, the memory, blessed in my heart. I'm thankful that that man lived in human history. I'm thankful that the Lord brought my my path and His path to cross. One of the greatest and most godly examples I've ever, ever known. But then I think in my life too of Dorothy Culbertson who, like my mother, struggled with mental illness and but loved the Lord, shared the gospel with us, pointed us to God all of the times. It's interesting. I never go to the book of Proverbs without thinking about Dorothy. Nobody knows her. I mean, she just was in Napa State Hospital and then into her apartment and then would sometimes have a crisis and they'd try to get the meds right and the whole different things, but she loved the Lord. And boy, did she love J. Vernon Vernon McGee. She went right the five years, right through the Bible with Jay Vernon McGee, but she was always talking to us about the Lord. I mean, I don't, I, I can't remember that she said anything to us that wasn't that she didn't work it back to the Lord for us as kids. And you're a kid; it's like, okay, enough. Now, when I can't tell her, she'll be rewarded for it. Now I respect it so much. I remember one time I was sick with the flu. I was at home. She was a friend of my mother's. And, and uh, she came over to help clean up the house a little bit and help with what was going on. And I had a book of sayings by Mark Twain. So I liked the little sayings, you know, as a kid. And I'm reading the book, and she comes in to give me some orange juice or something like that. And then she saw what I was reading. And she said, you know, there's a better book than Mark Twain's little sayings said, really, there is? She said, yes, it's right in the Bible. It's called the book of Proverbs. She went and got a Bible, took the Mark Twain from me and put the Bible in my hand, left the room. (laughs) I wasn't born again at the time, so the book of Proverbs was a little drier than Mark Twain. And uh, I'll tell you, I respect her for it. And you have those same relationships in your own life, don't you? They've gone on to be in heaven, but I mean the fragrance is still upon our lives. and uh, But the same thing, the name of the wicked will rot. Once we die, we have no opportunity to change our legacy. That's why if we've done wrong, that's why if we don't know the Lord, that's why if we've um, harmed people and hurt people, at the instant of death, we, we don't have a, an opportunity to fix and change Our legacy and how people will think of us—that's been wrested away from us. We only have that opportunity in this in this life to make things right. And it's a funny thing about Christianity: as much as the culture kind of uh, poo-poo's Christianity and blah, blah blah that whole thing, but there's something about it when a person has lived whatever kind of life over here. And they show up at the next family uh, barbecue or they show up at work, you know, on the following Monday after they've given their life to the Lord and they announce to everyone that they're a Christian, that people take that seriously. They really do give people a fresh start when they give their life to Christ. Now, they want to see change. But they really will give us an opportunity to do something different, be something different. Christ gives us that opportunity again so that people will think about us uh, fondly when we are gone. You think about how many, how many people uh, in the world, uh, in terms of thinking about people that are long ago dead now, those that lived for righteousness and those who lived for evil, how many people name their um, children Judas Or Adolf. No, we name them Stephen. We name them Paul. You know, we name them Sarah. We name them after these people who... In, in our lives and in Bible history. And these things have been an influence for good in our lives. Verse 8, the wise in heart will receive commands, but the prating pratting fool will fail. And so here is a contrast between the person with a teachable heart and then uh, as opposed to the know-it-all. And Everybody's going to learn wisdom in in this life one way or another. I mean, you're going to learn it the easy way through instruction, as God gives it to us in the Bible here, or we're going to have to learn everything the hard way in the school of hard knocks, as people talk about. But the school of hard knocks is a school of hard knocks you talk about people saying they laugh and say, yeah, I don't have any education. I went through the school of hard knocks. And, but if you get them to go past the joke of it, you know, and maybe even have a little bit of pride and arrogance related to that, and they really stop and think about the price they paid to learn lessons that they could have learned so much easier by just listening to God, I'll tell you, they, they would like to have a, ch- a second chance to do it all over again and so when he talks about the pratting, uh, uh, pratting fool will um, fall, uh, this it's talking about uh, the person who doesn't quit talking long enough to learn anything. So here you have a person, in order to learn something, you have to listen. Think about that in our life. If you're talking, you can't learn anything because you're only saying what you already know. There are some people, every conversation they get in, it's just like, boom, hi, pooh. They just start talking. <laughs> Bye. Then they go to the next person. They never listen to anybody. It's they do absolutely all of the talking. And if a person doesn't listen, we're never going to learn. Because what we what we say, we already know. The only way we can learn is to shut up and then to listen to somebody else, say, well, that's new, and then to learn that. So the teachable heart as opposed to the know-it-all who uh, never is quiet. Uh, we're being diplomatic, aren't we? But, uh, I mean, these these are things, they they can reach in pretty deep into our lives depending on you know, who and what we are. Verse 9, he who walks with integrity, uh, that's wholeness or entirety toward God, walks securely. And so that kind of person doesn't have to worry uh, about th- their safety or their future. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to fear. You know, it's a great thing. We, as we walk with the Lord and we obey the Lord, we never have to worry that such and such a thing is going to surface related to to our lives, or something in our previous life prior to, um, you know, living for Christ, then, hey, we're new creations. We're not the same people that we once were. But he who walks with integrity walks securely. He doesn't have to worry about um, how he did wrong to a person last week, and then this is going to surface. It's the right way to live. There's nothing to hide but the person who perverts his way or does wrong to people, ultimately, it's going to get exposed. It's just a matter of time. Verse 10, He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but the uh, pratting fool will fall. And so, winking with the eye. You know what I mean? So, this isn't a prohibition of all winking. So, sometimes I'll wink, but it's like an affectionate thing, always toward men. So it's not like ladies. He's a winker. Don't look at him. Or if it's a family member, of course, I'll wink at him. My Uncle Donnie was a winker. Oh, man, he's a winker and a half. That's a country song waiting to be written full-blood Irishman, one of just great, I mean, love life and the whole thing, and he'd be talking the whole time and he'd be winking at you, you know. (laughs) I just love him for it, very, very affectionate. And uh, so nothing wrong with what he did or nothing wrong with you winking. Here the winking is the idea of winking at somebody in order to gain their trust because you're conning them. My brother had a friend many, many years ago who was just like one of the worst con men I've ever known. And Gabe knew it. Gabe just saw right, right through him too, but he was kind of amusing. Um, whereas there's that... Um, if you've ever watched that series, Bleak House, on BBC, there's that one guy that says, I'm just a child, or whatever his whole deal is. This is a bad illustration. I'm sorry. Only one in ten thousand people have ever seen Bleak House. So let's just erase the marker board of our minds here on that on that thing. But this guy, he'd start to talk with me, and he'd just say he'd say my he'd say my name more ten times a sentence. And Damien, and Damien, and Damien, and Damien, and Damien, and he's winking at me the whole time while he's telling me whatever. I'm thinking, what kind of person talks like this? This is the only person I know in the whole world like this. And he's just trying to do a con on me. And so it's just this, this winking in order to gain, uh, gain confidence. And the Lord says, this kind of person uh, causes trouble because, of course... Uh, that's all they're up to is trouble. And then the only thing worse than a bad winker uh, is the loudmouth, talkative uh, fool, because he always gets himself into trouble. Verse eleven: The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And so, the rightness from the righteous that comes, uh, uh, the rightness that comes out of the mouth of a righteous person, it provides. Refreshment for people morally and spiritually. There's just some people you walk away from, and there were no dirty jokes, there were no innuendo, uh, there was no gossip, there was no slander, there was no whatever, and you just walk away and you say, You know, just pure righteousness came out of their life, and you walk away and you say, You know, I was just built up by that conversation. That was just uh, tremendous. But the mouth of the wicked is only an influence uh for evil. And so it's it's worth thinking about that uh even in church, we think, oh, everybody in church is like filled to the top, you know, spiritually and with encouragement and all of these kinds of things. And yet uh sometimes before service, after service, and not even not even at church, where here we are we're talking with people and to realize that people are morally thirsty and uh, people are spiritually thirsty, and for that to come out of our mouths in blessing people. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Verse 12, hatred, and this is the idea of a long-running feud uh, with another person. It stirs up strife, and it always does. makes people, because always a fight, makes people choose sides. The fight gets bigger and bigger. But love covers or literally conceals uh, all sins. And so here's the difference, the contrast between the troublemaker and the peacemaker. And people that hold on to past wrongs in their life, they're unforgiving toward people, and uh, they they end up becoming bitter. Many people, the book of Hebrews tells us, end up being uh, defiled. But God will give us, the Bible says, the ability to forgive those who sin against us. Remember, Peter came up to Jesus. Jesus had been speaking about forgiveness. And Peter said, how many times shall I uh, forgive someone? Uh, for uh, the same sin against me up to three times. And so he thought he was being very, very uh, gracious because the teaching of the Jewish rabbis in that day was you forgive a person twice and then you just write them off the third time. Jesus said, no, not three times, uh, but seven times 70. Let me see, you've got the... Um, 70 and the 7 and the 0 and you take the 7 and it's a 0 and then 490 times. And then Jesus told a parable related to that. And where in the world can we get the grace to forgive other people 490 times? If you're, if you are ever intent on being married, you will forgive more than 490 times. And it won't be like some big thing that they've poke you in the eye every day or some kind of a, of a thing or insult you or something. It's just everybody falls short. And if you're going to spend years, you're going to spend decades with a person, then there has to be a spirit of forgiveness that we walk in. And God gives us that spirit how? He gives it to us by telling us that we are to forgive others in the same degree that God has forgiven us. And when we realize how much God has forgiven me then what the forgiveness that somebody else is requiring of me is infinitesimal in comparison. God forgives me of more sin than He will ever ask me to forgive in another person's life. And I cannot represent Jesus in this world by being an unforgiving person. It's just impossible. How could, How can a person represent the Lord in this life, the God who came into the world to forgive and to provide the price of forgiveness by living in bitterness and walking in unforgiveness. And so that's why Peter, when he did that three times, Jesus said seven times 70, gave him the parable and and all. Then later Peter would write in his epistle, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. He went right back to that scene where Jesus spoke to him about that. And uh, that was written forever on his heart. Verse 13, wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod, that's kind of a stick for beating a person with corporal punishment, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. And so uh, that's the Bible's way of saying that the conversation of an intelligent man or woman is helpful to other people, but the words of a fool, they only bring punishment upon himself. Verse 14, wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. And so a wise person stores up knowledge. In other words, he or she holds it for the right occasion. Um, A wise person doesn't say everything they know in every conversation. (laughs) Some people that do that, it's like, okay. And then in the second grade, uh, okay. And then one hour later, and then I went, got into the fifth grade, and then I learned, and so that everything, anything they ever think they're saying, everything. And and yet here is a wise person. They store up knowledge, and they are sensitive to the Holy Spirit for out of this storehouse of knowledge that you've put into my life, life experience, wisdom from you, what is it that I should say to this person in, in this uh, circumstance. And so the mouth of the fool brings destruction uh, on themselves. In other words, their mouth is always getting them into trouble. And there is that certain kind of person that not only do people not know what they're about to say next, they don't know what they're about to say next. And so there's a lack of self-control here. And it's the extolling of you know not sharing every thought that comes into our mind. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Uh, this is the Bible's way of saying, and it's a healthy thing uh, don't despise money. Don't despise money. Now, the Bible says don't trust in money because it's not worthy of our trust, but to trust in God. The only time, the only the only way, the only source of peace for us in this life is, and God wants us to walk in peace, is if the source of our peace is greater than everything that can rob us of our peace in, in life. And you can have all of the money in the world, and it can be gone in an instant. That currency can fail overnight. There is no peace, no deep, lasting security on the basis of money. But there is a deep lasting peace in putting my trust in the Lord. So we don't trust in, in money and we're not to choose money over honesty and we're not to work overwork the Bible says in order to be rich to make that the goal of our life. But we're also not to have a romantic view of poverty. Now, living a life of poverty is a hard, hard life and And here Solomon is telling us that there are no benefits, uh, that there are benefits, rather, to having maybe something in a savings account if it's possible because having a little bit of money can provide some hedge against the disasters in life which the the poor are completely vulnerable to. You look how vulnerable the poor are in life and... Here's a person with money. They can buy a new car every five years. And once they've put the first 100,000 miles on it without, you know, any major servicing or any major breakdowns or input, then they sell it for top dollar. And then it moves into the second owner and the third owner. And then the fourth owner is someone who's living in poverty. And now it's got 230,000 miles on it, but all they can afford is that car, and now it is an absolute headache for whoever buys it. Or they're not able to buy high-quality clothing. So here they are. Here somebody else is able to buy something that's going to last or a tool or whatever is going to last a significant length of time. The poor person says, I cannot afford to buy that tool. I've got to buy the inferior thing. And yes, I know I will go through six of these saws and, and wear them out in the time that this one would last. But I can't buy one of those right now. I've got to buy this. And that's why the Bible says that if we as Christians, if we are rich, and there's nothing wrong with being a rich Christian. Abraham was rich in the Old Testament. But the challenge of richness, being rich is not to then trust in riches over God. And God says if we are rich as Christians, then it's important to think about the poor and those that for whom somebody here will spend $200 on a purse or a pair of shoes or whatever it might be when the closet is already full of that, and to realize that $200 can make a a, a year's difference in this family over here that's poor, and to be open to the leading of the Lord and taking care of, of one another. Sometimes you'll see interviews on TV where a man is like a self-made man or a self-made woman. They were poor, and then they became rich. And you hear the old saying, I've been poor, and I'm now I'm rich, and rich is better. That's kind of what the proverb is saying. Sometimes people romanticize being poor. Uh, it isn't easy. And if a person is able to save a little bit, there's nothing wrong with that. In verse 16, the labor of the righteous leads to life and uh, the wages of the wicked uh, to sin. And so wealth that is obtained by good, honest work, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to a family. It's a blessing to a city. It's a blessing to a country. And then wealth that's obtained by wicked activities that destroys a family, it destroys a city, it destroys a country. It's like the difference uh, between being a Christian merchant And being a drug dealer, they have two entirely different impacts, not only upon their family, but upon the society that they live in. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. And again, here's the realization that some people are teachable and others are know-it-alls. And uh, each person, uh, whether I'm a teachable person or whether I'm a know-it-all, uh, that leads uh, each person into an entirely different quality of life. The person that's willing to listen to the wisdom of others and, and stay on the wise path in life is going to have an entirely different quality of life than the person who has to learn everything uh, the hard way. And so we need godly examples in life. We need godly mentors in life. And, of course, Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit is the greatest example and a mentor uh, that you can ever have. Verse 18, Whoever hides hatred has lying lips. And uh, so the person that... Here comes a person that you hate, and you haven't resolved that between you and the Lord and this person, but you hate them. and um, But you're not willing to say that to them and resolve the problem. And so... Here they come up to you, and and uh, this person that you that uh, that you hate, and then you say, "Oh, it's so good to see you." Liar. again. It's just a lie, and and so it's hypocrisy. It is it is acting, and so this is a warning against hypocrisy, uh, that kind of uh, lying in that form, and also a warning against. A slander, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. That's the dumbest activity in all of life is to slander other people, isn't it? I mean, you think so often as adults, I 'm not speaking for you, but I'm um, speaking about myself and about you know well it's the same thing for adults. You, you'd think that by, by junior high, you would realize that slander always comes back and bites you you remember being in elementary school or in junior high school and you'd slander someone It like the ten fifteen milk break in the morning? And by the two fifteen break in the afternoon, the whole school knows what you said about that person. And now that person is upset with you and wants to have a fight with you by the overpass after school. In <laughs> slander, I mean... People love to hear slander, and they don't say, I love to hear slander because I love to keep it to myself. No, it moves. And it does the same way in adults, even within families and all. Somebody says something to slander another person, and man, it isn't long before you and I are in hot water and we're kicking ourselves and saying, why can not I keep my big mouth shut? And so slander always comes back and bites us. And so it is the activity of a fool. We will stop there and pick things up in verse 19, Lord willing, next week uh, in our journey through the book of Proverbs. Let's stand together and let's ask the worship team to come forward.